architecture has been done the same way for a very long time as far as the operations and kind of how architects deal with clients and how they deal within the industry and how they produce projects. And thanks to the tech industry, they've really uh, made a lot of progress there. And we wanted to be able to, if we started a firm today, how would we actually start it? Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast. Podcast. The show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello and welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining the show. I'm extremely excited about our guest today. He's a good friend of mine and founder of the architecture firm Method Group in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The firm was founded by Josh in May of 2018, and since then, they have burst on the scene in Tulsa with projects focused on creating memorable places. Their firm provides architecture, interior design, planning, and also historic preservation. This episode, we're going to dive into the role of an architect on your project, the process of selecting an architect for your project, and I think you'll find that Josh brings a unique perspective on these topics due to his personal and professional background. So as always, if you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the show and share with your friends. There'll be more exciting conversations on the show to come. So without further ado, let's start the show. Welcome, Josh. Great to have you on here. Thank you for inviting me and for being part of your initial group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. I wanted to find the best of the best to start off with. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Cool. So, as mentioned uh, in my introduction, you are the founder and managing principal at Method Architecture. So if you could just give us a little bit about yourself and more about starting, founding a method. Sure. So, you know, growing up, I always knew that I, my dad's a small business owner. He's actually a, uh, a residential contractor. And so I've always kind of known that maybe I was going to go out and have my own company or be a principal in a firm or something. I just didn't know what that really looked like. But, you know, with that said, you know, kind of one of the things I wish I would have done was gotten an MBA to be able to have a little bit more of a broader understanding of how the business works. Because whenever you start a firm, you know, you have all of these assumptions in your mind. Um, mm -hmm. Whenever you haven't really started a company before, you can learn from others, but you don't learn everything. And so right. certainly find holes or gaps or uh, you screw up and make terrible decisions and uh, all those fun things. And so you kind of learn along the way. Um, but really, you know, one, so we have four kids, uh, four boys that are six and under. And so wow. we, um, we were kind of in between. So my wife was pregnant. Um, whenever we had really kind of made the decision that, and it was actually at her pressing to like, Josh, you have the opportunity, go do this now. That's uh, awesome. So it was with her encouragement 
in support that um, met, um, the idea method was really um, brought to the forefront. So we had worked our team. So we we um, we started the method with five people, which is kind of unusual. Um, right, that's a good that's a good group to start out with. Yeah, um, and also it's very capital intensive too. So, <laughs> but we we were working for another firm, and we just saw the it was a big engineering firm and engineering and architecture kind of two different things. So we had a a different vision of how a firm could be run, an architecture firm could be run. So we approached them and um, to our, much to our surprise, they agreed with us and allowed us to take all 13 of our projects with us. So that's how we were able to start with five people. Uh, we had 13 projects to go and kind of a nest egg to start with. It all, it's better than what it sounds like because half of them didn't come with fee. And there was only one really good fee or two good fee projects out of that. But really, our you know our our kind of vision as a firm is that architecture has been done the same way for a very long time, as far as the operations and kind of how architects deal with clients and how they deal within the industry and how they produce projects. And thanks to the tech industry, they've really uh, made a lot of progress there and we wanted to be able to if we started a firm today how would we actually start it and kind of mm-hmm. clean slate but also it's the other thing is in how architecture relates to people and so we believe that most architects forget about the individual whenever they're creating buildings and places and that it's right. really about the building and it's about this big shiny thing and they really forget about the whole reason why we're producing buildings in the first place and right. that's, it becomes more of a monument to their their craft in a to way. their ego right. yeah. <laughs> uh, and so you know it's it's so we focus on experience and and, and how you feel and that emotion you know, how we feel in, in those places and spaces. Um, and that's really a very different approach. A lot of times it's almost like we're more of an interior design firm because we focus so much on quality of space rather. And really for us, the architecture, the building is what supports, it sets the stage for that experience to happen. But then it's also about, we believe in you know, being good neighborhood partners. As, um, so we focus on urban projects and projects that are in incredible natural environments because we want to be able to blend in and uplift everything that's around us, but without being out of place. Gotcha. And so like that spaceship, that building that lands in a spot you know, unless that's what the context requires or demands, because sometimes monumental architecture is necessary, but many of the times it isn't. It's about how do we, you know, how do we improve the neighborhood with this one piece? So, so basically you're stating that the architect's intent is mainly to, the, the architect's intent should be to focus on uh, the person's experience with uh, an interaction with the building. So 
So can you tell me kind of what the role of the architect plays in the, in the process for just a typical project? So traditionally, the role of the architect in the process has been that of the team lead. And so we kind of help oversee and help implement the vision uh, of what is the project. So that's why um, traditionally, you know, the architect has held the contract for all of the consultants. So whenever a client goes out or a developer goes out, they're going to hire an architect and then that architect is going to hire most of the parts and pieces then you know the mechanical engineer the electrical engineer the structural engineer plumbing civil engineer civil, uh, <laughs> civil of course uh, landscape you know acoustician building envelope consultant um, lighting designer any of those are typically under the one contract of the architect. What we're seeing um, in the market is a little bit, and we're doing this too, is because our industry is highly litigious, is that whenever we find that, well, whenever we take on all of those parts and pieces, then we're then liable for them. And many of, as you know, being a civil engineer, uh, many of issues that come up in lawsuits later are related to the site and related to ADA compliance issues on the site. Mm -hmm. And so what we're shifting towards is having the civil contract directly with the owner. And so that kind of pulls us out of that liability loop, right, wrong, or indifferent. That's just based on some conversations with some friends that are more intelligent than I am. And more experienced than I am, that's the kind of the direction that we're going. Really, we have no real responsible control over the site. Our our control is really over the building. So you know, you, you control the, the the project from start to finish as more of a project manager for the owner developer. So what are the typical phases of a project? You know, just a typical project. So um, this is also one where we've kind of, there is an industry standard. And so that's schematic design, which is where you're kind of figuring out what the project actually is. Then there's a design development. You're actually figuring out how that project really works. And that's where you make all the final design decisions. And then there's construction documents that that's where you actually figure out exactly precisely how that project's going to go together and how all those pieces attach and relate to each other. So from there, then you're typically taking those set of construction documents and specifications, which is a what we call project manual that is a Word document that's outlining in very specific order um, how all of those materials are to be installed, you know, how to care for them, and all of the product data information. Um, and that's a separate document, usually in a big binder, or like if you're uh, mostly digital like us, it's just a big PDF. From there, then you'll typically submit that to permit. Um, with the local jurisdiction. And then we also typically send it out for bids at that point. If we have a, um, we're typically doing more what's called construction manager to where we have the contractor on in the design process mm -hmm. and 
at this bidding process, they're actually bidding to all the individual sub uh, subcontractors. But in a traditional design bid build scenario, it's at that point to where the general contractors are seeing it for the first time. And so they're looking at it and their subs are also looking at it. In a typical project, when do they typically do the initial bid? So you, you need to know how much this is going to cost as far as to, to obtain construction financing. When when do most do an initial bid to make sure the project is, is uh, feasible from that point? Yeah, this is one of the areas that we're kind of doing a little different. So we're actually doing, we're kind of creating um, what we're calling a um, architectural due diligence package at the very front of the project where we're kind of helping figure out what that project really looks like. So that's where then we're, we have a select number of contractors that we like working with and we'll kind of pitch it to them. I had some high level, usually a cost per square foot budget that has some contingencies and things or larger contingencies to get it to where it's typically somewhat close. And that's after that due diligence or that schematic design phase. Um, right. So you work with the, the contractors that uh, you typically like to work with and, and come up with the initial budget? Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's typically where, so your, your developer will then take that package and go talk to a bank or talk mm-hmm. to a dozen banks um, to see which one is going to have the most favorable financing terms. And then based on that, so once there's two ways that we've seen uh, one, if the developer's fairly confident, they will go ahead and release us to do that design development and construction documents mm-hmm. while we're waiting on financing uh, to get in place. The other one, so if it's less known or they're less confident that they're going to get financing, um, so maybe if they're a newer developer, um, we would wait until financing is actually in place to start on that design development and construction document. Typically, until you have that bank financing, all of everything that you have in place is kind of at risk. And what we found as architects is that the money that's spent before the bank is actually spending money is a lot harder to spend than whenever you have that that bank line there to draw from and that's right you you know that the project's going to happen and um, there's a lot more certainty after that point that's a great point and for some of our uh, listeners that are just getting started out in development that's good information to have so everybody's thinking about money <laughs> so what is the uh what's the typical fee structure for just starting out a project just to get your your feet wet i know it it's obviously varies from uh area to area design if you would just touch on the the fee structures and the what's expected yeah so um this is something that again we certainly have our there's a variety of different ways you can do this but one that we've found that's been most beneficial to both sides of the table is whenever the scope is not known so like whenever you're in the beginning of a project we'll sign an hourly contract that says here we're going to work at this these hourly rates until we get all of these kind of unknowns figured out and Mm -hmm. usually that's whenever we're doing that due diligence 
So once we've done our due diligence and we have those unknowns mostly figured out, we're never going to figure out every single unknown at that point, but we'll have most of them and we'll have a pretty good idea. Then we will move into either a fixed fee or a percentage of construction fee. So some developers want to see just a single number and many a times they're comfortable paying a higher number uh, than what would be on a percentage of construction basis because that takes the risk out. Right. Um, we typically like to work on a percentage fee um, because then it scales and it's very easy to understand it scales. If the development grows, it scales up. If it shrinks, then it scales down. And the theory is, is that whenever your project gets larger, there's more work. If it gets smaller, there's less work. This is one of the other changes that we're making is that we're doing that fee, that middle fee, through to getting a, a, an approved permit. And then once in construction, then we're switching back over to an hourly. Yeah, that's, that's because um, what we found is traditionally architects have done a fixed fee for the entire process. But again, because we're seeing more difficulty in construction and like with jurisdictional, you know, reviews and owners that change their minds and hurricanes and <laughs> fires, wind, you know, all of these things to where, or, you know, if you're financing, you know, one of your streams falls through or you have a recession or whatever, um, there's a lot of stuff that can go on during construction. Also, it's, if you have a really poor, you know, poor quality contractor, there are certain things that need to be done during the, the construction process to make sure administrative things to make sure everything's done being done appropriately. If you right. have a bad contractor, the architect ends up having to do that, and that's an increased workload than typical. So that's where you really, you know, as the owner or as the developer, you should be paying for that extra right. effort um, that's supposed to be being done. But if you have a good contractor, that's where you can actually our fee. Um, during that phase could actually end up being lower than what the typical is because those things are being managed by a great contractor. As I mentioned before, you know, we do have group of contractors that we like working with and we know that they're going to be, you know, be doing all the right things in construction. A good contractor is worth their weight in gold. Yes, they are. Uh, <laughs> and hard to come by right now. Yes, as we're finding, um, everybody is actually, I had a call from a, a potential client. They called 10 contractors and only one of them returned her phone call, you know, and she has a real project and that's, you know, almost ready to go. One person called her back. <laughs> well, we, we can't cover how to select the uh, contractor in this short amount of time. <laughs> but how would you select an architect? Being an architect yourself, what, what kind of things would you look for uh, in that selection? So I can tell you what why our clients have selected us is that we understood their vision and we can speak to their vision. And so whenever, again, this is a very risky thing. So you're creating something out of nothing. And so it's, it's important to have somebody that aligns with your vision and your value set. 
So you need to be asking them how they would handle situations, you know, or you need to see that, you know, they can produce visions for their, for other clients that, you know, appear to be in alignment. You also need to um, likely talk to some of the people that they've worked with and see how, you know, how they are. Those references are important because if you're, you know, if you're budget driven, but then you're going after an architect that is maybe a high design firm, then maybe that's not a good fit. So you have to have, you know, aligned expectations there too. So, cause, and that's where you're going to, um, let's see, you're not going to hire Frank Gehry to do a McDonald's. So, <laughs> uh, I might use that quote, by the way. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, maybe McDonald's will do a special test kitchen, but they're not going to use addition to yeah. do all of their thousands, tens of thousands of stores. So again, it's we spend a lot of time about you know managing expectations. Um, the other thing is whether or not they actually listen to you and really understand you know what. Because you can tell them, here's my vision, but then if they go and do something else, sometimes that may be okay because maybe you don't have, maybe you don't know what you want. And so you need somebody to help you figure out what exactly it is that you want. But, you know, the worst thing is, hey, I'm telling you this thing, and then you produce something completely different not that's not doing a good service. So if I come in looking for uh, a smaller project, what kind of questions would you ask an architect, you know, as a developer, as an owner, what, what questions uh, are valuable in determining whether or not that architect is, is a good fit? So you could ask them about what their values are as an architect. What do they believe in? We all have core values as people, as individuals, and we have them as companies. The other thing that you can ask is, have you done one of these before? Have you done this? Mm -hmm. That's not always important. We are, although we're focused on an idea, you know, we have a broad range of experience. And so just because we haven't done it before doesn't mean that we can't. Because sometimes we can partner with somebody else that has just for those kind of lessons learned. And so there's, you know, for us, we're very collaborative and team uh, focused. And so we have no problem bringing in an expert to maybe cover up a weakness right? in a project. Because a lot of, sometimes whenever you go to that firm that's done, you know, 10,000 of them, you're maybe you want to have a real special one, you know, and you're just going to be one of a thousand. So the other thing is to ask for and really gauge is, you know, what's your current workload? Mm. Because what we've heard is that many times that architects kind of overcommit. It's easy to do right now. Yeah. And whenever everybody's busy too, sometimes, uh, again, going back to managing expectations, we have to manage them too and say, well, you know, we're probably not going to be able to get to that for a month or two. Is that okay? You know, and many of the times it is. Then it's how do you, you know, you could ask, what's your expectations of fee? A lot of times, you know, we'd like to bring up money early rather than late. Um, Definitely. Because uh, one of the questions that we'll ask first meeting is really what's your budget? Because for us, like on residential, you know, we're not going to do 
a single family home that's under a million dollars just because you know there usually isn't enough money in the project to support our fees mm-hmm. for anything smaller we will do for special clients or special opportunities we will do less but uh, we're a lot more selective let's see what else i guess it's um, how do you like to work um, because sometimes you know a lot of architects is well here let me get a bunch of information at the beginning and then we'll see at the end Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like we prefer to be involved and, you know, have the client at the table. We do these big design review meetings where everybody is at the table. And so everybody's looking at the same thing and everybody can have input. And then um, overall schedule for the project and overall availability for the project. No, I, I think this has been extremely helpful. I want to thank you for all your time spent here. I mean, there were some great points you pointed out as far as what what to expect in selecting an architect, because I know that can be hard. Uh, there's several architecture firms out there, and you want to make sure you have the right one for your project. So uh, I want to thank you again, Josh, uh, Josh with Method Architecture. Yeah.